The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Now at the start of the show, I want to give you a little bit of information. We've got a couple of things going on today in addition to the show. In just a few minutes, it's going to be time for the Great American Shakeout. And if you watch the show at all, you know that every time this comes up, if we've got a live show, we try to participate. So at exactly 18 minutes into the hour, we're going to participate in the shakeout. It's not going to look like much, but I am going to, even with my old rickety bones and my arthritic knees that are not feeling well, I'm going to get under the table and put my head under the table and talk you through it. And there's a really good reason for this. Now, the second thing that we have going on, which will help to explain, um, it, it, we are told that there is sometime this week we're doing an evacuation drill in our building and that it will likely happen today. And because, you know, things always happen when they are the least convenient, I'm guessing that it's going to happen during the live show. I don't know that, but there may be a point in the live show where I will be told that we need to evacuate the building. And then we will do that. And, and I want to say to you that while there is a part of me that's like, really, do we really have to do that? Because I have so much to talk with you about and I have guests that are lined up. Yes, we really have to do that. And the reason why we're going to do the shakeout and the reason why we will participate in the evacuation drill if it happens during the live show is because we have to practice these things. And we know statistics have shown us and we have seen it with our own eyes, if not had a family member experience it, if not experienced ourselves, that sometimes things go awry. And in the moment when things go awry, your brain does interesting things, right? But your body remembers. Your body remembers if you've done something over and over and over again and it takes over. This is why we rehearse plays. This is why we rehearse drills. We do these things so that our body will have some muscle memory of, you know, in the moment, especially, you know, when we do these drills, the lights are on and there's no smoke and there's no panic, right? Um, and that's the perfect time to practice things because when something really is going on, there is smoke. There's frequently not enough light. There are people shouting and you're not knowing quite what to do. 
So I, I want to remind you that it is important to practice, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more and how you can do these things at home and why you should. Um, but I see that we're showing you all the different ways that you can connect with us for the show. I do want to remind you that we will stay live and we will stay on the air. We have some things lined up to show you if we have to leave the building and, and go down the street to the park. And we'll try to come back as soon as we can. And our guests and our shows will continue. And if we have to go a little over, we will. Uh, but here are the ways that you can get in touch with us. And we want to remind you that we really enjoy the live aspect of this. If you guys have questions or comments or concerns, one of my favorite places for you to go to is our website, which is www.autism-live.com. When you go there, there is something called the live feature. Now, it, there's a computer screen, and if you click on the computer screen, it will start either the live show playing if we're live or the most recently recorded live show. To the, and you can tell if it's live or not, because if you can fast forward it, it's not live, right? Right? I, I mean, if you could get to a certain point and if it won't fast forward anymore, now you're live, right? Um, you can always rewind, but you can't fast forward when it's live. Now, to the side of all that are a series of boxes. And uh, if you click on the, uh, put your cursor in the one that says your question, then all you have to do is type and hit enter and your comment will show up on our screen here. And that way you and I can have a conversation. But more important than that, you can have a conversation with our experts. So, uh, and we do have some wonderful experts who are gonna be joining us today. All right, so a uh, couple of different things uh, I wanna make sure that I mention, because it's Thursday. I, see, I've got other stuff going on because I wanna keep track of the time because at exactly 10.18, I gotta get under the desk, right? Uh, okay, so um, we do have experts on the show. Just remember, I'm not one of them. And I'm not pretending to be one. I don't think that I'm an expert in autism. I'm very confident in the fact that I am not an expert in autism. I am a mom. I'm a former teacher. I am a mom with a, a son who was diagnosed with autism at the t age of two and a half. At that point, he was nonverbal, self-injurious, and I didn't know what our future was going to look like. I got access to great, great help and support out of sheer luck and some determination and then follow through, follow through, follow through, follow through. And my life is so rich because of all of those things. My son's life is rich because of all of those things. He has a full um, social life and is at a college prep high school and loves what he is doing. And I enjoy every everything about him. Um, and I, I am grateful for all of that, but I know that that's not enough, that I have something to pay forward. So I am here. If you need help, if you have a question, if you want some support, if you just need a place to safely shout into the darkness, we're here. We hold hands. And I always tell you, si se puede, we can do this. We absolutely can. Uh, together, we can do this. So um, not an expert, but here for you. If you need somebody to put to work and say, hey, I don't know about this, put me to work, I'll do the level best I can, um, which sometimes falls greatly short, and I admit that too, but I'll do my level best, and at least you won't feel like you're in this by yourself, because none of us are. All right, we also like to start uh, Thursday mornings with something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what are the experts talking about? What is, how, is this meaningful to us? Why do we care? 
But a lot of times if we understand the term, then it saves us time and money. And that's a good thing, right? So today's term, oldie but a goodie, is M-O. Oh, kind of short of a moo, right? M-O, which stands for motivating operation. <sighs> I know, everybody take a pause because you're like, what? I, I don't know if I've heard this one before. Sometimes people refer to them as EOs, which are very, very close, but a little bit different. So let me read you the definition of an MO. Get ready because I give you the actual definition. We make a little fun of it. And then we move on to something that hopefully we can sink our teeth into. All right, MO. Motivating, a motivating operation that establishes or increases the effectiveness of some stimulus, object, or event as a reinforcer, thus increasing the current frequency of all behavior that has been reinforced by the stimulus, object, or event in the past. This is just about as useless as it could be, right? I just want to do this. <laughs> In fact, I, you know one of my things that I hate the most about a definition is when it explains what the thing is by using the exact words that are in the title. It says a motivating operation is the first part of the definition. That's where we're going to put that. We're going to toss that this way. Uh, of no use to you. You're no closer to know, knowing what an MO is. And I'm going to tell you something. Our working definition isn't much better, but stick with me. We're going to get there. So our working definition is some internal or external variable, I told you it wasn't much better, that makes particular reinforcers even more reinforcing, thus increasing the likelihood that you will engage in certain behaviors associated with accessing those reinforcers. Yeah, I know. I didn't write that one either. Okay, so here's the deal. Motivating operations are things that are on board on top of just what's happening, um, as are establishing operations. So, now, a motivating operation can make things harder, but we want to focus on things that make things better. So, for instance, if you are going to work today and you want to have a great day because you want to like get a, a proposal in and you want to kill it and you want people to recognize you as being the rock star that you are, what are some things that you do to try to ensure that you're gonna be able to deliver your best presentation, which will get you the best kudos. Do you eat something really healthy the night before? Maybe you work out that morning. Maybe you take more time with your makeup. Maybe you buy a new outfit. Maybe, you know, I don't, maybe you meditate. I was talking to somebody who was doing a presentation yesterday and I was saying, you, you know, you gotta do that stance that they've done the research on, the Superman stance, where you stand there for two minutes and just breathe in this pose, and they have proven that your performance is better. Uh, you want your surgeon to be doing that before they do surgery, right? These are all MOs. They're motivating operations. They're things that you put in place to ensure success um, and to help make something more reinforcing. So these are all things that you do to ensure success. Um, Let's think about it. There are things you could do on the opposite end to make sure that you don't ensure success, right? Uh, I'm a little like discombobulated today because I had a meeting right before we did this and we got a time consideration going on because I got to do a shakeout and I don't know at what point are we going to have to evacuate the building, right? So it's making me a little scattered. Um, you know, it could end up being that I'm fine 
Um, but when you think about it, when we're trying to get kiddos to learn something, do we want to set them up for success or do we want to set them up for having a more difficult time? Um, one of the things that was really difficult for me to learn as a parent, and I'm still learning it as a person, um, I was not good, if I leave my house, I'm not good at stopping everything and saying it's time to eat. I am the person who will push on and say, well, let's just get this done and then we can go get lunch, right? And I made the mistake of doing that one time with my child, one time. And I, he had such a horrible tantrum because he didn't feel good. I miss that cue for myself. I, you know, and, and will go, I will just press on and not eat. I should be a very thin person, not. Um, but you can't do that with children and you shouldn't do it with adults, right? And he had the most horrible, horrible tantrum um, because lunch was an hour later than it should have been. And it taught me, can't, can't do that because it became something that colored everything else we were trying to do. Okay, so that's a negative thing that's happening, but turn that around and say, how can I set this child, what MO can I put in place to make sure that this child does their level best? I love when his school sends home notices saying, on Thursday, we're gonna be taking a test. So please, make sure that your child gets plenty of sleep the night before, that they're fully hydrated, that they have a good meal the night before, a hot breakfast that morning, that they have their pencils sharpened. They're giving us a list of MOs. Um, and in this case, what we want to have happen is for them to take the test and do well so they get to the reinforcer for that, right? Um, okay, so... Um, let me read the working definition again, and now that you know what it is, let's see if you have a little better understanding. Some internal or external variable that makes particular reinforcers even more reinforcing, thus increasing the likelihood that you will engage in certain behaviors associated with accessing those reinforcers. Okay, so it's what's on board. Okay, our, let's move on to our question of the day. We always have a question for you, and I'd love, and we try to make it go with the jargon now. We try to have it be all matchy matchy. So, our question today is what sets you up for failure? And of course, the flip of that is what sets you up for success? What do you do when you're really taking care of yourself to make sure that you have what you need? to be able to do what you need to do. Um, and what do you do that's preventing that? Man, the list of what I'm doing to prevent that is longer than the list of what I'm doing to make sure. Uh, but I have to say that um, I work with young people who are very health conscious um, and aware of what they intake into their body. And it's been a good influence on me because I forget to drink water. And I'm now, I never come in to do the show without having water here, um, which was not the case in the beginning. Uh, in any case, let's move on to our topic of the week because I'm on that treadmill, right? Topic of the week uh, is, I'm just checking time, we've got three minutes before the great American shakeout. Uh, topic is, what's on board? What else do you have on board today? What are you worried about? What's kicking your can a little bit? What's preventing you from getting to the good stuff? Are you in pain? Did you not get enough sleep? Have you not had enough nutrients? Have you not eaten what your body actually needed? Have you not had something to drink? And, and what do we need to do to change that? Do we just need to stop? Um, because sometimes that's the key. You just gotta stop. 
and say, I need this in place to be successful. I, I love when I have to write, um, something has to swirl in my head for a certain amount of time. And a lot of times if I'm writing on a deadline, I'm like, I got to do it now. But I want to do something else and I want to do something else and my brain wants to go do this. And I, I will be honest with you, I have learned that I've got to allow my brain to do whatever it wants to do because if I'm trying to write and I'm not in the state, it's going to take me seven times longer. If I need to go for a walk, if that's what my body is saying, I really want to go for a walk and I go for the walk and then I come back down and sit and write, I can write it in no time at all. Um, but if I haven't taken care of those other things, it takes me that much longer. So asking you today, uh, what's on board, what sets you up for failure, what sets you up for success, and do you, are you willing to stop? Uh, now, this goes hand in hand with what we're about to do because we are just one minute away, less than a minute away from the Great American Shakeout. And I know we're all so busy. And it takes time to do a drill. It really does. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And I will be uncomfortable getting down on the floor underneath because I've got two bum knees at the moment, right? But sometimes we have to stop to take care of ourselves. And uh, so we are going to stop for the shakeout and we are going to stop if we have the evacuation drill. I said before that we were going to talk a little bit about doing these drills with our kiddos. It's super important, um, and we've set ourselves up for this time of year that um, when we, when it's the time changes, the two times a year when we have the time changes, and the time changes coming up at the end of the month, in, in less than two weeks, that there are a couple of things that you should automatically do. And we, we pair these with things so that we remember. You should absolutely check the batteries in all of your smoke alarms. Uh, it's 1018. So while I'm talking to you, I'm going to, with great embarrassment, very slowly get underneath the table. Uh, and I'm only going to stay there for a couple of seconds, but you know, it's important to have your body do it. So humor me, and then I'm going to need a small crane to get back up because of my knees. But so now's a great time. Notice that I'm underneath the table, and if you're teaching this to a kiddo, you have them get underneath the table, but you teach them it's not enough to do that. Cover your head when you're underneath the table. And that we would stay here until all shaking had stopped. And one of the things that I tell kiddos is, let's count. Let's count, and we'll count out loud. Because I'm told that the average earthquake is less than 14 seconds. And if you factor in the amount of time that it takes you to get to the place where you're going to duck and cover, by the time you get underneath, you're usually more than halfway done. Now, there are exceptions, right? I have been in a couple of earthquakes where um, I got to the count to 31. And that's a little nerve-wracking, but you know, then you start being like, oh, look, it's a long one. And that helps with the anxiety. So um, as I was saying, important to do these things. And it doesn't have to be scary. Uh, you, you can do just exactly what we just did here with your kiddos and say, oh, you know, we're doing the Great American Shakeout. I love it that they call it that because it sounds like it's something fun. Sounds like, uh, you know, shake and bake. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but um, okay, so back to what I was saying before. In the next two weeks, I'm giving you the assignment of test all of your smoke alarms. Test them to make sure that they go off. Test the batteries in them. 
If you don't already in your home, you need to right now, and they're infinitely more affordable than they were even a couple of years ago, get an alarm that checks for, um, why can I not think uh, what the phrase is? Uh, ah, it won't come to me. Carbon monoxide, thank you, thank you so much. Yes, carbon monoxide, you have to have one of those alarms in your home as well. And if your home is big, you might wanna invest in two of those. Those are gonna take more batteries and you gotta check them periodically to make sure that they're working properly. We see too many families right around this time of year when people start to kick on their furnaces, when people start to pick up, pick up um, and put up holiday decorations. Um, that sometimes something gets covered that wasn't covered before. It's important to have these things in place. But once you've done that, it is also time to run more than one drill. And it's important that every time you do the drill to have it be at a different time of the day, to have it be start in a different part of the house. When uh, just last night, when they were talking about the Great American Shakeout here in uh, very close down the street in Northridge in 1994, there was an earthquake and it happened at like 4.30 in the morning. And so it was dark and most people weren't up and, you know, things were different. Uh, it was very unsettling for everyone. It's important with our kiddos that are on the autism spectrum that we give them times and places. It does mean that at least once a year, you should wake up your child to have them do a drill because they're going to react differently when they're half asleep and when it's dark. And you don't want the circumstance of having to do that for the first time when something is actually happening. It, I know none of us thinks that it's going to happen to us. And the truth is, <coughs> excuse me, it happens to people all the time. And the people who survive are the ones who have been through this. So <coughs> let's choose setting ourselves up for success, shall we? Make sure that you run, check those uh, fire alarms, check your uh, carbon monoxide alarm, and run at least two drills. Uh, and then two more in the spring when you change your clock again. It could save everyone in your family's lives. And wouldn't that be worth it? It takes a couple of minutes. Okay, so think on all of that. I want to let you know that we've got a great show for you. Um, we're going to be back in just a minute after some messages, and I'm going to be talking with you about how we set ourselves up for success, and we're going to do our mindfulness moment, which we haven't had a chance to get to for a while. Then we're going to be joined by Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, and she's going to be answering some of your questions. A little bit later, we've got an amazing mom who's going to be joining us talking about an organization that's just for amazing moms. And then we're going to round out the show today by welcoming back Jeremy Aldrich and August McAdoo from the performance of The Boys Next Door. I had the wonderful opportunity of going on Friday to the Blue Door to see the, the premiere of this uh, CRE outreach production. Very interesting cast uh, of people of varied abilities playing people with varied abilities. We're going to talk about all that. Believe me, I've got some things to say about that. I do want to remind you, though, before we go to break, that tomorrow night, it is, it is time. It is the Fullerton Cares Comedy Show for Autism, and the headliner is uh, the fabulous uh, Joe, or excuse me, 
I, it's like I've had a, a, a stroke here. Uh, we're we're going to be back just after these messages. All is fine, but I want to talk more about the comedy show when we come back. So stick with us. Say hello. Say hello. AJ. Stop crying. <laughs> AJ, let's eat. Can you eat, AJ? Let's eat, son. Have a fry. My understanding of autism was very limited. Windows, you, you name it. And so we went to the 13 month checkup, and I remember our pediatrician he said, Well, he probably has autism. There's nothing you can do about it. Come back in a year when he's three. Our initial understanding of what the ABA program was was basically all we picked up from this clinic in San Antonio. He didn't pick up any signs the entire eight months that he was there. I think the difference came when we changed vendors. We were very impressed with the way that CARD actually gathered data to be able to quantify the progress that he was making. They have a curriculum that they follow that's tailored to each child. They were identifying AJ's strengths and weaknesses. We were finally starting to see real progress. Good, AJ. Here's Ed. The first thing CARD did for us was I remember the first time AJ said, Mommy, I want you. And that was the most wonderful thing ever. There's, so there's hope. Yeah, there's that's when I knew that there was hope. I never thought that AJ would be able to say that. It was like a gift from God. It was so fantastic. With CARD, we got him enrolled in a private school. And he was in a typical classroom. He would go from activity to activity. He could sit when he was supposed to sit. He could be around typical kids. The goal is for CARD to work themselves out of a job. It's for AJ to be in a mainstream classroom with no help, and he's functional and he's learning. We're really grateful to all of the therapists. AJ would not be where he is without them, and we will never be able to repay them. The part of themselves that they gave to him to make his life better and to make our lives better. Welcome back to Autism Live. Sorry about that abrupt uh, before, but you know, there's so many things <laughs> happening here that I, it was like the distraction police needed to take me away. So I'm back and I'm trying to focus. And that's one of the things that I wanna talk about. But let me take just a minute to finish my thought that was happening before, that tomorrow night, Fullerton Cares, and you know how much I love Fullerton Cares. What an amazing organization. They're doing their Fullerton Cares comedy for show for autism. And Jay Moore is the headliner. That's who's headlining. And we had him on the show two weeks ago and he was amazing and I just thought, Look, I've been a big fan of his forever. Picture Perfect is one of my all-time favorite movies. I think he's wonderful in it. And he's done lots of other movies, including Jerry Maguire and uh, Paulie. And it's funny, when you talk to people, they're like, oh, you know, this one is my favorite. And everybody's different. But um, he's a fabulous stand-up comedian. And so he's the headliner. And there are a bunch of other people who are on the bill. And I happen to be one of them. 
So I, already I'm a little distracted because I, I get to be part of a comedy show tomorrow night, which is not my normal thing, right? Now, I'm not doing stand-up, and I want to be clear about this. I'm not doing stand-up, although I used to do stand-up. Um, but what I'm doing are, are two little snippets from uh, the Autism Monologues, the one-woman show that I did this summer at the Hollywood Fringe. So I'm going to be performing that uh, for this wonderful crowd. And I'm really excited about it. If you're in the Los Angeles area and can get down to Fullerton, now Fullerton is, is Disneyland adjacent. Uh, it's just a couple of miles away from Disneyland. And Fullerton is a wonderful, wonderful community. It's happening at the historic Fox Theater, which I'm very excited to be there and be, have the opportunity to perform there. And to be on the bill with Jay Moore, come on, it's going to be a great night. So if you're around, now I'm not going to guarantee anything because things are going to get a little busy, but if I have the opportunity to do a little live feed before the event, I will try to do that. So if you're on Facebook and following us on Facebook, keep an eye out tomorrow night around, I don't know, 6.15, 6.30-ish, uh, sometime between then and maybe 7.30. Uh, I'm, I might try to do a little bit of a live feed. I'll have my iPad with me and see if we can make it happen. Uh, so that's happening tomorrow night. But I also mentioned that on the show today, we're going to talk again with the director and one of the stars of the production of The Boys Next Door that's happening with the CRE Outreach in uh, Culver City at the Blue Door. Those performances are happening on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday matinees through, I think, November 5th is uh we'll check with them about the dates on that so you have a couple of weeks to go and see that and i really want to encourage you i posted on my personal facebook yesterday that i i am concerned as a, a a person and i'm concerned as a mom about pigeonholing people and saying that they can only do one thing right i have always been concerned about making sure that in the arts that individuals with different abilities are represented. Um, I know that there has been a huge push and a huge ask from the um, disability community, whether it be autism, whether you know, uh, it be individuals who have, um, you know, who are blind, who have hearing impairments, who are amputees or have cerebral palsy there's been a big push as long as i can remember in my life for those individuals to get hired in all formats including the entertainment industry and there is some frustration and some very real and justified frustration when individuals who have different abilities uh, a role comes up that matches those abilities and yet we hire an actor who isn't an amputee, or we hire an actor who doesn't have cerebral palsy to play them. And there has been an outcry of people saying, hey, could you know, could you just like hire people who actually know about this? And I think it's amazing, and I always celebrate when an actor um, who has some different ability gets a role. I absolutely celebrate that because I think that that's a great thing and an important thing. I am always reticent to say, um, well, a deaf actor should only ever be used to play a deaf actor because acting is acting. And if we say that, if we say that a deaf actor has to play a deaf character, 
then then the flip of that is that a deaf actor could never play a hearing person and i won't sign up for that i just won't sign up for that and i won't sign off on it i don't think that's what we really want and what i really love about this cre production is that it went there it went there and it went beyond and so you have people who are blind playing people who have autism and you have people with autism playing people who are developmentally disabled and it's a wonderful thing. So we have the director and a member of the cast who will be here uh, to talk about, now that I've seen the show, and about what they're doing. That's coming up a little bit later. But I want to take a minute, because it's Thursday, and it's important, and I can feel it for myself, that we haven't done the mindfulness moment in a really long time. And earlier, you saw me totally lose focus because there were so many things. I'd just gotten done saying that sometimes we just have to stop. Uh, when, when you know things are happening, we just have to stop and take care of business. And I made a, a decision in the moment. I was like, what am I doing? I just need to stop. So we went to commercial break. That's what you saw, me saying, let's stop. Um, and we all survived. And I don't know, maybe you think less of me, but I'm... A little bit more together although I could be more together so let's talk about how do we set ourselves up for success and where is mindfulness in that equation that when we want to be present which is we should want that most of the time right um, that it's important that we set ourselves up for that. We've talked before on the show about giving yourself an insurance policy, which means we don't wait until we're discombobulated to practice mindfulness. We have to practice it on a regular basis because it's a muscle. And just like the reason for doing the, the safety drills, we need to get it into our body so that when we get to stress, it will happen automatically. One of the best ways that I know for a busy parent to participate in mindfulness is that every time you get in the car and you're getting ready to go someplace, we know there are habits that we've already built into this moment. And one of them is we put the seatbelt on, right? And then after we put the seatbelt on, if we take three breaths, just three, one deep inhale, one deep exhale, one deep inhale, one deep exhale, one deep inhale, one deep exhale. How long did that just take for me to say that? Like 15 seconds? Maybe 30 at the most if you're able to take really deep breaths? And think about how much more focused, first of all, your stress level goes when you take three breaths. I don't know why it's the magic three, uh, but it is. Now, obviously, if you have time to do more, but a lot of people will tell me, I, and I understand, I just don't have time for more. But the truth is, we all have exactly that much time. And if you don't have that much time before you're leaving in the car, it's the reason to make the time. Because if you're that rushed getting in the car that you don't have time for three breaths, how able are you to be alert in the car? I know. I live in LA. It's easy to be late and traffic and it can make you very hurried. But three breaths before you start. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from autism parents about how they're at something, they're at an event, something happens with their child. Maybe their child elopes. Maybe uh, you know a teacher was unkind or inconsiderate or 
um, or another child makes fun of your child and you escape refuge, right? You go to the car and what you want to do is peel out and drive away. But in the seven years that I've been here doing this show, um, plus the three years that I've been doing a radio show before this show, so that's 10 years, really, I can think of 20 different instances where an autism parent told me I was upset, I got in the car, and within 40 seconds, we got into an accident. Um, that's way too many stories. And those are just the ones that people have told me. I, I know that it can happen, and sometimes it's not your fault, right? It's that somebody else cut you off. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we are behind the wheel, the more present we are, the more likely we're able to see something and take control of our own circumstances to swerve or to move out of the way. Just last night, my husband and I were driving, and we were stopped, and we were in a lane to turn, um, and just sitting there and talking and a motorcyclist came out in from, you know, from the other street, came out, turned wide and was not paying attention and kind of swerved and came this close to hitting us head on, um, which would have been much harder for him, but I don't think it would have fared well for us either. Um, and he was laughing and chuckling as he drove off and continued swerving down the road. I don't know whether he was altered or what. But the truth of the matter is both my husband and I were like, <gasps> right? Um, but we were both present when it was happening too. There weren't a whole lot of choices for us to make in that moment because we were stopped and the only place to go would be forward, which would have been into him, right? Um, but I do think that being aware and present is helpful for us no matter what. Um, it, it, you know, it's the best possible circumstance to be in when you're driving, driving a car, which is, you know, it's a hurt missile. Uh, that's what a car is, a heavy hurt missile. So uh, if there's no other time in your day, take the time when you buckle the seatbelt, three breaths. Now, if you did this on a regular basis, you would see that everything stressful that happens to you throughout the day is a little less stressful. It's the insurance policy. It kind of takes the gas out of everything else because you're coming at something centered. And if you see that and see that it's helping you, then you can look at doing more meditation. We actually have a meditation that is online that is um, just for special needs parents. It's 11 minute meditation. That's when you have a little bit more time. But I, I challenge you to take the three breath challenge as you buckle the seatbelt, three breaths. And, you know, sometimes it's upsetting because you've got kiddos that you just put in the back seat. But what a great thing to instill in, instill in them. Uh, it may be a child that does not yet know how to count to three, but you can teach them how to count to three by buckling them into their five-point harness, then getting in the car, putting your seatbelt on, and the minute it clicks, go say to them, ready? And then you take the, you say one, and you take the big deep breath, and then two, and then three, and then we go. If you think about it, modeling that behavior, even for a child who doesn't have a whole lot of expressive or receptive ability, they will get that. It becomes a routine. We get into the car and I take three deep breaths. You can take your child at a different time and put a stuffed animal on their belly and say, make the animal go up and we're up and down and we're going to count to three. And that's the way you can teach a kiddo how to take a big, slow breath is by putting a stuffed animal on their belly. They call them breathing buddies. 
Um, with older kids, I know they're going to be frustrated, but if you start it with them and say, this is just something we're going to do, and we're going to take three deep breaths, it's a great gift that you can give them. Uh, a really wonderful thing that you can do. All right. We have got to take a break. When we come back, we are going to be joined by the fabulous Bonnie Yates. She is going to be talking with us and answering some of the questions that you guys have sent in. So stick with us back after these messages. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get right. Let's get wild. Let's get, let's get, 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 let's get wild. Hi, welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman. Uh, we're here doing allergy-free cooking, and I brought my sister with me today. Jamie Davis. Thanks for having me. A lot of people are asking about a allergy-free breakfast, and Breakfast can be full of crap. You know, it, breakfast, but it's full of cereal. crap and it's hard to do. We yeah. don't have time in the morning. We're in a hurry. We're going completely nut-free. The recipe is not Personality, really. we can't do yeah, anything can't about. Yeah, can't do anything about that. So we're going to start off first with, um, I'm using sorghum and brown rice flour. I find the texture good. And I've added some flaxseed meal. We talked about that last time, flaxseed meal for poop. Almost every one of our kids has a poop issue. What's next on the recipe is the quinoa flakes, baking powder, cinnamon, and the xanthan gum. It brings the glutinous texture back into the flour. And often what happens with these recipes is they can fall apart. This one holds up nicely. I like it. For the folks that are egg free, we have a ton of egg replacers. One of those can be the arrowroot starch or bringing back some additional flax seeds. So there's a lot of options to go eggless, but we're gonna go egg full in this one. For sweetener, I use the maple syrup. I stay away from refined sugar. What I'm adding now is the coconut uh, milk, maple syrup, and a little bit of the coconut oil. And we're gonna add in the raisins, craisins, and chocolate chips at the end. I find that chocolate chips can coax people to eat some really amazing things. When we started, Jeff had 42 food allergies, so we had to get creative in how we cooked. So nuts were a big, big issue. What I like now is that he can tolerate so many more things after we start doing this diet. So let me show you how you can deal with this um, sticky stuff here. You get your fingers really wet and you can push it down. So my oven has been preheated. It's at um, 350 degrees. So we're gonna just throw this in. Like I said, I like it around 23 minutes, and the magic oven says, I'm done. Looks like. Don't you love magic ovens? They're awesome. Here we go, pops right out. The texture of these, and it's so pretty, it looks almost like a big chocolate chip cookie, but you actually made it healthy. But you can be wow. my guinea pig. Tell me what you think. It looks really good. Doesn't it? So the textures and the colors in there are just beautiful. So the raisins are for you, the chocolate chips are for your kid. I can't believe it's gluten-free. I know, right? It doesn't taste like, you know, crap. crap. <laughs> <laughs> We're wrapping up another cooking show. If you have feedback, you can email us at autismlive at gmail.com. We're, of course, on Facebook. You could go to facebook.com slash autismlive. And of course, Taka Now has thousands of recipes. Join me there, and we can um, cook some more later on. So thanks for joining us. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? 
It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. Welcome back to Autism Live. We have joining us on the phone right now the fabulous, the wonderful, the incredible Bonnie Yates. She's a special education attorney, an awesome mom, a good friend, and an all-around good person. Bonnie, thank you so much for being with us today. It's all true. It's all uh, true. And Bonnie is joining us uh, via the law firm of Hirji and Chow. Bonnie, tell us a little bit about Hirji and Chow. That is true. Hirji and Chow are um, very happy that we get this opportunity to do outreach to people who are interested in special education because it's a complex field. There's a lot to know and the stakes are pretty high. So I appreciate that they give me the time to do this program every week. Um, and if you want to contact us, you can either find us on the web at lawyer4children.com or our telephone number is 310-391-0330. Fabulous. And there, there's a disclaimer that you give at the start of every show as we start to talk about answering people's questions. Tell us a little bit about that. I do give a disclaimer. I want everyone to know that the questions are being answered mainly uh, according to California law, but there's also federal law that comes into play because ideas of federal statute. And we're giving general answers to questions that we get from folks that are listening to the show. And if you have a specific problem um, and you need help in resolving that problem, I'm going to tell you that most attorneys will give you a, a free initial consultation. So there's like no um, reason not to do that. And there might be a lot of reason to do that. And so if you want to consult with an attorney in your state, my recommendation is that you go to www.copa, that's C-O-P-A-A, 
www.ethicsmith.net and get a list of attorneys that um, are part of the special ed bar, and, and most of them are probably doing this because they have their own child with a disability or relative with a disability. So anyway. Spectacular. So should we jump right into questions? Let's jump right into questions. Okay. Somebody has written in, and I love this question, is it better to take an education consultant, an advocate, or a lawyer to an IEP, and do you really need all three? Uh, the answer to that would be you don't need all three. So let's see, we had lawyer, advocate, ed consultant. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to add paralegal. Okay. Okay. For reasons to become clear. Okay, so the IDEA was intended to be accessible to parents, um, and one of the ways that Congress thought it might work best is if parents had the right to attend their child's IEP and to be represented, or I think the word is sorry, is to be accompanied by a representative. So it doesn't say that you have to have a lawyer or an advocate or an educational consultant or a paralegal. You can go by yourself. You can have a family member come and represent you. You could have a just, you know, a, a, what if you knew somebody that was like a school psychologist in a different school district? You could have him or her come. So um, I guess the definition of an advocate could really almost encompass anything, but I think when people use advocate, they mean that the, that the person um, comes to the meeting and is able to articulate to the district what, what the family needs and why it's appropriate. And I think an educational consultant would be encompassed within that as well. When I get a little nervous, and you don't have to see this that much, but you see it sometimes, is you have somebody that's done, let's say, a speech and language assessment, and she obviously knows more than the parents do about IEP meetings, although whatever she's learned, it's probably been in a non-academic way from attending as opposed to like reading the law. But if a person like that comes to the meeting and then starts advocating for, for speech therapy services, you know there's going to be a, a, a problem because that presents a conflict with that person is advocating, A, for the, for the services, that you know she's going to provide, and B, there's also talk. It comes up, it goes away. It comes up, it goes away. About the uh, impropriety of bringing a lay person to an IEP meeting because they're engaging in the unauthorized practice of law, and that would include the paralegal too. So let me come back to that, but let me say something about a paralegal. A paralegal is somebody that's attended a course of training. Um, in legal procedures and, and it is essentially being trained to operate as legal support to a lawyer. And you used to be able to be grandfathered in as a paralegal if you worked in an office for a couple of years. The results, I think, got more stringent and now you have to um, you have to actually go through one of those courses and get a paralegal certification. So when you present a fee bill to the district, assuming that you're represented by an attorney, if you have a paralegal working under the lawyer's supervision, IDEA makes it possible for you to recuperate the paralegal's time. It doesn't make it possible for you to re, uh, 
So when you no, say recuperate, you mean like be reimbursed for it? Right, exactly. Okay. okay. So um, so there would be two reasons for not going with an advocate or an ed consultant, and I guess to a lesser degree a paralegal, because I, I think the people I've seen that do the ed advocacy charge like between 50 and $150 an hour. So... Um, there might be, instead of paying that money to an advocate or an ed consultant, it might be possible to find a lawyer that would take your case on contingency or for reduced rates, and so you would actually be putting out the same or less money, but you would be getting legal services instead. Now, I still haven't gotten to why I think having legal services at the IEP is important if it's possible for the client to do it, but I'm getting there. So we've already talked about the fact that those fees aren't reimbursable. The other problem is when an advocate or an ed consultant or a paralegal um, is handling a case, they are not generally going to be looking out for things like statutes of limitations. So I have a case that I um, am dealing with this week. The parent was represented or was accompanied to the IEP meeting by an advocate and the advocate has had the case for a few months but didn't advise the parent that the statute of limitations on the original IEP um, and uh, assessment was going to run. So I've now inherited the case and um, the parent's claim period has been um, locked in half, you know, has been diminished by half because nobody was watching to see whether the statute was going to run. So there's the problem of you know unauthorized practice of law, which I hinted at. I think the state of Maryland actually prosecuted a COPA member about uh, 15 years ago in Maryland and tried to say that she was engaging in the unauthorized practice of law, and the state bar got involved, and I don't think she was ultimately... Uh, prosecuted for it, but everybody was like, hmm, is this going to spread? And then I didn't hear anything about it for a long time. It kind of went underground. But recently there's been talk about that again, that, that you know, it might be improper to have people participating as ed advocates um, at IEP meetings uh, if they don't have proper legal tra training. I think that the problem at, at, at you know, that the IEP is going to be less, but I think once the advocate or the ed consultant is filing for due process and getting ready to go to a mediation, that becomes really important because the ed advocate or the ed consultant is going to be reviewing a settlement agreement that is an entirely legal document, and they're going to advise the family as to whether to sign it or not. And I don't believe that they know how to analyze what the language means. And we have a case like that where the parents went to LAUSD with an advocate and LAUSD wrote a very one-sided, harsh agreement that the parents weren't counseled on. They signed this. And again, there's a long waiver of claims and a loss of stay put and a variety of other things. So hopefully I've told you enough horror stories about you know, the problems with being represented by people that have a limited picture. I mean, an advocate can sometimes get good work done at the IEP level, fixing the goals, arguing for the services. And there are some very smart and capable people out there. But 
the problem for the lawyer is there's no discovery in IDEA cases. So when we go to due process, if we don't have any prior interaction with the district at an IEP meeting, we don't really have a good sense of who our witnesses are. That becomes a problem because um, we can't take depositions or do any discovery. The other issue, which is a, is, is a um, big one, is that IEP documents do not accurately capture what happened at the meeting. And paying somebody to listen to a recording is going to take almost as long as it is to have that person go in the first instance. I mean, I'm thinking back to an I. I'm going to stop this in a second, but I'm thinking back to an IEP that I went to about two weeks ago. It didn't conclude, but when I got there, they handed me the psychoeducational evaluation. It had not been ready, which is another issue. And I said, "Fine, we're all going to sit here while I read this." And I read it, and I had question after question after question about what the evaluation said, and I got the school psychologist to answer a lot of questions in ways that were not supportive of her position. Um, so I think the IEP is actually a really important place to have an attorney attend uh, if you, you know, intend to go ahead with litigation. Now, there's cost issues, and there's parents' understandable fear that bringing in an attorney is going to make the process adversarial and that's going to be bad for them. And, and, you know, I have lots of instances in which like a client has gone to the director of special education and said, I'm hiring an attorney. And they've said, that's the worst thing you could ever do, you know, and they try to talk them out of it. Um, as far as cost concerns, having a lawyer come to the IEP. Well, actually, before I say that, I think that, you got to ignore when they tell you don't bring an attorney. I don't think you can rely on them to be giving you legal advice because their interests are in keeping you in the dark and at an IEP meeting. So the last point about this would be cost. Now, unfortunately, when Congress, in its wisdom, developed the, the idea statutory scheme, um, it decided that IP meetings were not reimbursable because there was no live dispute yet. So it is true that if a parent pays us to attend an IP meeting, they will not get that money back. Whereas if they, you know, I suppose paid us after the fact to listen to the IP recording, that would be, you know, something that was necessary to do for the due process. So, um, that would probably be reimbursable. But with that said, it just it's very difficult to do these cases if you haven't gone to any of the IEP meetings. At least it is for me. Right. So I guess, you know, the, the other question is if you are a deserving family and you really can't afford to pay for legal services, you could try to negotiate a lesser rate for the IEP than the than the the, the attorneys hourly, you know. Good or point. you could ask them to waive travel time or you could ask them to put a ceiling on the number of hours they'll spend. So that those would be some ways to control it. Okay, fabulous. We, we have to prepare for these meetings. We have to be setting up our case. We do set up our case a lot of the time at the IEP meeting. I can't talk today. IEP meeting, we see mistakes being made and we capitalize on them. I mean, I can give you story after story. That's sort of boring, but I went to an IEP meeting where it was being held pursuant to a settlement agreement. And when I got to the meeting, 
I was listening for a while to the discussion, and I said, does anyone in this room, there are like three people, it wasn't a big team, know the student? Has anyone in this room had any contact with him? And the answer was no. Wow. Okay? So if I hadn't gone to that meeting, I don't know if that question would have gotten asked. Right. And I'm sure that informed everything that happened afterwards. And I think yeah. that's I think that's the really important thing for families to know, Bonnie. What you've been saying is that you know not everybody can afford to take an attorney, but there are ways around that, and things will happen at the meeting that could make a huge difference if you were there with somebody who understood what was happening. Right, uh, and I mean sometimes I can't go for whatever reason, financial or conflict, and the parent decides to go ahead. If I can, I'm always going to tell them. Hey, listen, you can take a break at any time. Uh, this isn't like court. So I'll be working in my office, but, you know, I won't be on the phone. If you have a question, call me. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, my impression is a lot of stuff is going to be happening to the parents, and they may think they understand, but they don't understand. Yeah, we don't. We don't see the big picture until much later, if ever. Uh, I, we're pressed a little bit for time, so I want to move on to the next question, if that's okay with you. Uh, uh, the question is about LRE. Yes. And so the question was, is there a guideline that determines LRE? And of course, we know that LRE stands for Least Restrictive Environment. What was the third question? The second, this second question, I mean, I can kind of maybe belt it out or it might take a little too long. What was the third question? The third question is, how do you argue for an aid if your child is high functioning? My school thinks it's only for severe kids. Okay, well, the answer is that's not true, and I guess we're going to answer that next week because that one's a little time-consuming also. Okay, let's start on LRE, all right? Okay. And I've given, I've given this to Shannon in written form so she can put it on the air for everybody to, to look at, but it's kind of an LRE overview. Okay? And, I, and I can put it on Facebook. I can't put it on the air. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. okay. I'm sorry. That's all right. right. So the... The LRE mandate demands that students be educated in regular classroom settings to the maximum extent appropriate. And the mom that wrote this question is, you know, like asking, are there any specific guidelines? That's 34 CFR 300.114, but you don't have to memorize that because Shannon's going to give you the handout. The, um, the idea requires each public agency, which means the school district, to ensure that to the maximum extent appropriate, children with disabilities, including children in public or private institutions or other care facilities, are educated with children who are non-disabled to the maximum extent appropriate. So it's maximized. Maximization is the standard. And special classes, special schooling, or other removal of children with disabilities from the regular ed environment occurs only if the nature and severity of the disability is such that education in regular classes with the use of supplementary aids and services cannot be achieved satisfactorily. And that's in the same statute that we just cited, the 34 Code of Federal Regulations 300.114A. So right there, there you see there's a balancing that's gonna, that's gonna go on between, at least in this instance under this statute, looking at the benefits of LRE versus you know how much can the can the student learn in that environment other other decisions also say you have to look at things like disruptiveness so 
the LRE mandate does not override the FAPE environment. So this is kind of the next point. So if if the child can't receive meaningful benefit in, in the LRE and in the general ed, then the child is entitled to be placed in a more restrictive program. So it is the case that you, you start with LRE being general ed. You look at you look at it, you see whether or not if you have, let's say, a full-time behavioral support team or you have uh, academic you know, tutoring, uh, supplemental academic instruction um, or occupational therapy for sensory strategies or whatever you need, if once you get those things, you can make it in gen ed, then they can't put you in special ed. So there's more, it goes on to say, um, first consideration must be given to placement in a regular classroom with any necessary supplemental aids and services to make that placement successful before considering more restrictive options. And I would think that that's kind of what that mom is looking for. Mm -hmm. Okay, so additionally, the idea requires that unless the IEP of a child with a disability requires some other arrangement, the child is educated in the school and he will attend, the school he would attend, I'm sorry, the homeschool, if he did not have a disability. And there are citations to, to that proposition. A child with a disability should not be removed from education in age-appropriate regular classrooms solely because of needed medication, excuse me, solely because of needed modifications in the general ed curriculum. So that's kind of a, a goodie too, because that means that you, you know, if you need your curriculum accommodated or modified, they can't use that as a basis for you getting out of the classroom. Okay, the most articulated formulation of the test for whether a child with a disability can be educated satisfactorily in a regular classroom with supplementary aids and services used by courts and due process hearing officers uh, includes a consideration of the following factors. Whether the district has made reasonable efforts to accommodate the child in, regular, in a regular classroom, the educational benefits available to the child in a regular class with appropriate supplementary aids and services as compared to the benefits provided in a special class Educational benefits are considered to be both academic in nature and encompass socialization opportunities, which can include the development of social and communication skills, an increased sense of self-esteem, language development, and role modeling. Okay, now then it goes on to the negative effects. I don't know if we have time for that or you want me to pick up with that next week. No, we've got, we've got a couple of more minutes. Okay. The possible negative effects, including those the child would have on other students in the class, uh, is a factor to be considered. An IEP team's discussion of the functional, social, behavioral, and academic difficulties a teenager with autism would face if he attended a special education program in a public high school helped convince a district court that the proposed placement was the student's school. Um, I'm sorry. With uh, was the students uh, LRE? Sorry. Okay, so there's an older kid where they're saying that that the um, non-academic benefits or the the deprivation of the of the non-academic benefits would be detrimental to the student. There's a case cited there. You'll get it when you go to the 
the Facebook page. The court acknowledged that the parent's uh, concerns that the student's behavior might interfere with his success in a, in a public setting. Um, the court acknowledged that, however, the court rejected the notion that the Hawaii Department of Ed failed to consider the potentially harmful effects of the placement. To the contrary, the court observed the IEP team spent a significant portion of the LRE discussion weighing the benefits of a public school placement against the potential harm. In another case, the stellar academic history of an eighth grader with a hearing disability bolstered his mother's claim that he could succeed in a general ed setting with occasional help from an educational interpreter. Um, the court opined that the placement in a special school for children with hearing impairments was too restrictive for the student because he was capable of succeeding in the regular education classroom with minimal services. The evidence showed that the student achieved good grades in honor classes, was proficient in all academic subjects, and passed grade level state reading assessments. And so then the, the next part of this little article put out by Special Ed Connection is, you know, relevant factors against placement in a regular classroom. And then we're going to get down to some other examples of what mom is trying to figure out in terms of the possible criteria. A district may not be required to place a student in a regular classroom when the student engages in dangerous conduct requiring intensive counseling and supports, will not receive a specific educational benefit, sufficient educational benefit in a general ed classroom, even with the provision of supplementary aids and services. So working backwards from that point, and that's a case that, that will be cited to you, it, you have to try supplementary aids and services in gen ed in order to be able to determine whether or not they will receive sufficient educational benefit. Um, another factor would be how much of the teacher's time does the, does the student need and does it substantially, no, substantially interfere with the learning of others? Or the student's behavior threatens the safety of other students or poses a danger to himself? or engages in significantly disruptive behavior that interferes with the education of classmates, or will require so much modification in the curriculum that the regular program has to be altered beyond recognition. Um, I can go on or I can stop here and we can finish this next week. Well, that's a, that's a mouthful for us to get our heads around anyway. Um, it is. That's why I provided you with with you know what I'm reading. And I have now posted it on Facebook. While you were talking, I posted it on Facebook. So it is on our Facebook right now. It's So, so Shannon, yes. what, what I'm thinking mom can do yes. is take this, use it as a template or a checklist, look at the considerations, and then craft her argument about why all of her son's presenting positives outweigh any, you know, perceived you know, detriment. That was the idea. Yes. I think that's um, that's an amazing set of tools for a mom to have. So amazing. And then we'll get to the question, uh, the last question uh, that we had on the list next week. But Bonnie, before you go, I wanted you to take a second again to tell us a little bit more about Hirji and Chow and how we could connect with you if we wanted to do a free consultation with you. Okay, well, I'm going to just preface that by saying that next week I'm going to begin my rant by talking about the social benefits of full inclusion, which is kind of what's left in the in the handout. Okay. Um, Jean Chow uh, can be reached at 
0330 and we do try to provide you know either a referral if we don't do the kind of law that the person needs or uh, an initial comp consultation to give some direction to folks and we don't charge for that well you guys are amazing you're amazing bonnie I uh, also want to tell people that if you want to just go to the website, it's lawyer for and it's the number for children.com. And you can check out the website there, read more about Bonnie and about the other people in the law firm and the amazing work that they're doing. Lawyer for children.com. Bonnie, you know, I think, yes. Me, I know I'm talking too much today. There's no. a lot to say. It occurs to me it could be really fun if we could figure out a way to do it to, to show what. Uh, an actual legal consultation looks like, which would basically require you to have, you know, a parent in the studio who's essentially willing to have her facts discussed in exchange for getting, you know, a comprehensive consultation. But I think it would be really interesting for parents to see yeah. what it looks like. All right, well, let's put that out there. If, there. if there's a parent in the Los Angeles area who would be willing to waive their right to privacy, to have a consultation on the air, that's absolutely something we could do. If you're and game, think, I'm game. I think it would go a long way to sort of demystifying the process mm -hmm. and making the process not be scary or intimidating, which is, you know, I think Shannon's and my goal, because guess what? The idea was written for you guys, not anybody else. Right. I think that's a great idea, Bonnie. We'll put it out there and see if there's somebody who would be interested in doing that. As always, I thank you for your time. You're an amazing person, and thank you for helping us to find our way in this like thickly wooded area. Well, that's that's our human journey, right? Right. We're all at the human journey path. All right, everybody, have a good week. Great questions. Keep them rolling. All right, we'll we'll talk to you next week, Bonnie. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. So that was Bonnie Yates on the phone. We're going to take a break because we've got another guest who's coming up. Nicole Wilson is going to be with us, and she is an amazing mom. Uh, she is the executive director of Autism Moms Are Beautiful. Is there a better name for an organization ever? And she's got a new video out, a music video, uh, called Autism Moms Rock. I, I already adore her, right? So we're going to see if we can get her... Um, on Skype, so stick with us. We'll be back after these messages. Hi guys, welcome back to Smarty. This month we're gonna be creating a popsicle puzzle. As we do this fun activity, you'll notice these icons will pop up. These icons tell you important information about the skills we're using to create the craft and where you can find them on the skills program. Skills is an ABA-based tool that helps parents create a curriculum that will help their children that are on the autism spectrum. Well, let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are popsicle sticks, tape, and arts and crafts materials. So step one, you're going to take your popsicle sticks and lay them down and cover them with tape so they don't move around. Now that my popsicle sticks have been secured with tape, here comes the fun part. You're going to take your arts and crafts materials, they can be paint, markers, whatever you have, and then you're going to decorate this with a beautiful picture. This is the beautiful picture that I made. Now what I'm going to do is remove the tape. And now, as you can see, 
to come apart. And here is your awesome puzzle. Now, the fun part is trying to assemble the picture that you just made now that it's all been separated. I hope you enjoyed this activity with me. Until next time, guys, craft on. To find more about skills and to access all of the lessons you saw in today's Smarty, visit skillsforautism.com and click on the parents icon, Skills, the online autism solution. right now via Skype by Nicole Wilson. She is the executive director of Autism Moms Are Beautiful and she's got a music video out right now that you're sure to love called Autism Moms Rock and she's going to tell us some more about what all these things are and and how you can access them. So first of all, Nicole, welcome to Autism Live. Look at how beautiful you are. Oh, thank you. It makes sense that you're the executive director of an organization called Autism Moms Are Beautiful. Tell us about this wonderful organization. Well, I actually came up with the name Autism Moms Are Beautiful a year ago. And I just said, hey, you know, I'm just going to give away free gifts. So I took my own money, about $400, and I just went and purchased gift cards from everywhere. And I just started giving things away every Wednesday, no communication, much just playing around, having fun. And then I noticed how so many autism moms gravitated to it. They were like, wow, you know, you care about us like that? And I started to realize that many of our autism moms, you know, don't get breaks. They don't have time for themselves. So I felt like this would make them, well, not make them, but remind them that you are beautiful. Doesn't matter if you have a child on the spectrum sometimes life gets stressful. So I'm just here to remind you with these beautiful gift cards, take some time for yourself and have a good time. And I don't want to put any words into your mouth, but tell us about what your, if you want to tell us about your connection to autism. Well, I have a daughter, my little girl, um, her name is Zanai Alin, and she's 10 years old and she was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. Wow. And so, so you're, you know a lot about being an autism mom. Uh, and in fact, you're beautiful. It all makes full sense. So now you have these, you, you have these Wednesdays giveaway. Where do these happen and how can people find out more information about it? Well, I have a private group set up on Facebook. Um, autism moms are beautiful with Nicole Wilson. So you can uh, just, just let everybody know that you are an autism mom. I try to keep it as private as I can because sometimes many autism moms may say some things or they want to make expressions and I don't want it to be too public. So if you join that group, every Wednesday we're going to talk about various things that go on in your art meetings and while we're doing that we even play games. Like this is one of the games that we play mentally stimulating me and um, <laughs> and we play that game. Something just to kind of lighten the mood, have a good time and then at the end I do the giveaway. The, the game was just slightly off camera. Can you show oh, us again? Off it's called, um, uh, let me get this. That's what it's called. Mentally stimulate me. I'm trying to get this. Oh, it's this better. I've never heard of it before. I love games. Mentally stimulate me. And they just have these random questions that you ask. And it's no right or wrong answer. It's just really more on how you feel. Like they have questions <laughs> that involve, hey, if, you're, if your ex-boyfriend went to jail for you, what would you do? And some moms is like, bye. He's going to be locked up for 30 years. I don't want to see him again. <laughs> and some moms like, oh, no, I would, 
I would wait for him, but it's just a kind of a comical moment that we have to kind of light the mood. I love everyone. this. I love this. And you've got something called uh, Beauty on a Budget, and you're about to do your second annual one. Tell us about that. Yes, we're doing Beauty on a Budget tonight, actually. Uh, that's why I wanted to fly out there, but I realized it was kind of all like the same day. So the way we do with Beauty on a Budget is we have our celebrity makeup artist, Mark Harvey, come out, and he makes up her, uh, just makes up an autism mom. So we put all their names in, in a hat. And then we pick a pick a name. Whoever wins gets the full makeover, and then we we provide food, uh, drinks, and um, we're so thankful to the foundation room, which is connected to the House of Blues. They are actually giving us the location to have this tonight. Now, where tomorrow. where are you out of, Nicole? Where is this based out of? Um, well, Autism Moms of Beautiful is based in Pearland, Texas, which is right outside of Houston, Texas. Because I noticed you said Ard meeting. Um, cause I, that always sends up the flag to me. That's like, we're talking about Texas for those of us who aren't in Texas. That's, uh-huh. that's what you guys, we call those IEP meetings, but for you, they're called ARD meetings. And I don't even know what does ARD stand for? Do you know? It, it's ad, admissions. Um, oh my goodness. I, it was right on my, <laughs> oh, ad, ad, admission review dismissal. So actually, our meeting is art, but we go over the IEP pay paperwork. So technically, a lot of moms still say IEP meeting, but um, it's actually an art meeting. Let's call an art to discuss this IEP paperwork. Okay. okay. So the IEP is just part of it. Okay. Great. So, um, so if people want to know more about the, is it are the tickets sold out for tonight for the beauty on a budget? Well, actually, the Beauty on the Budget event, we um, have a committee that we just formed. Uh-huh. So the committee actually pays a membership fee. And so we're going to have the private party from 6 to 8 to thank those moms for donating to our organization to keep it going and everything going. And then the after party is from 8 p.m. to 10. That means all autism moms are invited. And there is no charge. Many of our events, we do not charge for. The only one that we really charge for is the award ceremony that we do. We did our first award ceremony honoring autism moms, dads, and someone in the educational field. You're doing amazing things. And what a, what a, a wonderful benefit, not only for, I love that you're doing it locally. And so there's that, you know, face-to-face thing happening. But you, as you mentioned, you have this group on Facebook and you do some Facebook live things um, yeah. as well. What's the schedule for that? When can people have an expectation to see you live on Facebook? Well, we go, we go live uh, every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Central time. And uh, when you win a gift card, it actually doesn't require you to be stationed in Houston. Our first winner was in Canada. So um, that's why I do that. Uh, live on Wednesday because we want to make sure autism moms all over that are joining the group don't feel like they can't win a gift. I love so. that you're doing that. Now you've also got a music video. Yeah. Talk about that. <laughs> autism moms rock. I um actually my stage name in the past was a bliss Gillespie. So I traveled as a singer and um, I've published books. I've done plays. But when I realized that my daughter was autistic, my mother was like, I can't handle this. You're going to have to keep her. I can't do this. So I decided to give it up, but I still was writing. So I just decided one day to just take everything that we go through as autism moms. And I even include dads. It's not just the mom. And 
And I wanted to take all of that and try to put it into one song. So I called my producer, Jonathan Samuels of Dark City Productions. I called him and I said, look, this is the idea that I have. And he was like, wow, so you're going to get back into singing and writing? I was like, I don't know. Let's just see. And from that, I, I came up with Autism Moms Rock. And I sat with him and went over it and he just loved it. And we started tweaking it. And it took us about maybe a month to get it right. And then I said, okay, let me put it out. But I was a little scared because I was like, I haven't done this in a while. But I really felt like it would be an anthem for autism moms and also to bring awareness. And it's so awesome. Just, so really where great. do people need to go to watch it, Nicole? Well, we have a, a YouTube channel, Autism Moms Are Beautiful. So we have the videos there. We also have um, our own Facebook Live page, our magazine page, our AMAB uh, magazine, Autism Moms Are Beautiful. We have it on there. It has like over 21,000 views. So we're so happy within three week period of this video going viral. So it's all over Facebook. And if you would like to purchase the song just to jam in your car, <laughs> you can go to Spotify, I mean, Spotify, uh, iTunes. You can pretty much find it anywhere. So it's out there. And so now has this sent the message to you that you can take everything that you were doing before performing and writing and doing all these things and do this now in, a, in, a, in an arena where you're taking care of autism mom business too? Yes, yeah, so it's very hard. <laughs> but because I didn't expect for the organization to get this much attention as it has. So um, it's a little draining, but uh, because I, I, I'm still fighting like every other autism mom every day, you yeah. know, uh, having to set up our meetings to discuss the IEP paperwork, that's never going to change. So I always make sure that even if I have to take off of work, I'm going to make sure to cover everything for, for my daughter. And the good news is I have written another song for Autism Moms, <laughs> and I will be going into the studio um, in a couple of weeks to record it. So Awesome. I think you're going to do, you're already doing amazing things, and I think you're going to do some really spectacular things. And is your daughter getting everything that she needs through all this? I think I know the answer to this. You know, she she is, and I and I am known as the the bulldog mom because <laughs> um, it's because I actually uh, have worked in the school district for over twenty years. So a lot of my knowledge is because of my history with that. So I pretty much don't have a lot of problems uh, in my our meetings because I know so much and yeah. I kind of know when I'm listening to something and I'm like no that doesn't sound right <laughs> but in the end I always make sure I schedule my time right so I pick my daughter up from, from, from daycare and then from there we will go to the bookstore which is her favorite place to go but I make sure that at least an hour or two maybe every other day it's just me and her that's awesome I, I always love what, what Holly Robinson Pete says. If when you're walking up the walk to your school, if the if the ladies in the, the main office aren't sitting there saying, uh-oh, here she comes, then you're not doing your job. And uh -huh. it sounds like you are doing your job. <laughs> I know. And also with um, Autism Mom, Autism Mom is beautiful. We also um, allow people to, uh, other autism moms to email us if they have questions because we do know that there's so, there's so much money being made from this, which is not a bad thing because we need advocates, but there are just a lot of parents who can't afford it. So what yeah. we try to do is, is open it up where autism moms, they have a question, 
I definitely will answer it at no charge. It's the same when we have our board. We have other members on our board that also will answer questions if autism moms have questions. So it's more than just, hey, let's make you happy. Let's make you smile. We, we do receive phone calls from various autism moms that could be crying, could be sad. Even though we're not doctors, we do ask, hey, you know, are you feeling a certain way? Because if you are, you know, let's see what we can find someone in your area to show up. And I've even done that. I've gone to various autism moms' homes to sit with their children so they can have some time to themselves. So it's more than just, you know, the gift cards. We really want to show our autism moms love and really understand where they're coming from. Bless you. Are you getting that too, though, Nicole? Yes. You know, it's so funny because... When I, when I first started getting into the autism game, as you can say, with my daughter, um, I always relied on um, this autism mom. Her name is Dean Kimbridge because she's actually an advocate herself, and she's really um, um, a great person to go to. So from that, I talked to her about it, and she even mentioned, you know, what kind of help are you getting? So I have to give a big shout-out to my parents because my, my parents have been there for me. Um, so strong because I, I go through periods where my daughter just doesn't sleep. And so my parents want me to catch up on my sleep. So they have agreed to get her at least twice a week for me. That's awesome. And I'm also dating. I'm in a, I'm in a serious relationship with a wonderful man. And so uh, we have our time as well, too. So I, I do have someone to help me, which is my parents. And they always help me whenever I need it. <laughs> good whenever. for you, Nicole. I'm so glad for yes. you. And what an inspiration you are. You're doing really good work. I really want to encourage everybody to go. Where do they, what's the name of the Facebook page? Is Autism Moms Are Beautiful? Yes, it's Autism Moms Are Beautiful with Nicole Wilson. That's the private page. Our like page is AMAB, um, which most people say AMAB magazine. And then you'll see Autism Moms Are Beautiful as well connected to that. Okay. That's our like page. And we're going to go live for the first time tonight. I've never gone live on a magazine page. So I'm going to go live tonight. Um, uh, so we can kind of see our response to that. And then we have a YouTube channel, Autism Moms Are Beautiful. And our website is www.amabeautiful.org. Um, I just couldn't put Autism Moms Are Beautiful. I just thought it was too long. I know. I know. <laughs> I, that, that happens. But um, I want to encourage people, check all those things out. But you've got to go watch the video uh, autism moms rock, uh, support this wonderful mom and you will feel better about yourself as you do that. So yes, also I forgot to mention that we do have our own magazine, which is called AMAB magazine. And what we do is we interview autism moms who have been through the same things as other moms, but they've also, um, have great careers. So we want to encourage autism moms that we, we understand, we know it's stressful, but we want to also encourage you to not ever give up on your dream. So you can um, find this magazine at www.issuu.com forward slash Autism Moms Are Beautiful. And we do the magazine quarterly. So if you're interested as an autism mom, you can just reach out to me at autismmomsarebeautiful at gmail.com. We have um, different cover models. And we actually, as a love for you autism moms, what we do is, we make sure that you have a complete makeover. We will provide you with a T-shirt, Autism Moms Are Beautiful, and you will have a beautiful photo shoot, and you will get to keep your photos as we're using them for the magazine. I love that. Say the the website again to go to buy the magazine, but say it a little bit slower for us. Sure. Um, it's www.issuu.com forward slash Autism Moms Are Beautiful. 
Or if you just go to our website at www.amabeautiful.org, it's on there as well. Spectacular. Thank you so much, Nicole, for all the good work that you're doing and for being with us this morning. Thank you. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What an inspiration. What a lovely job she's doing. Um, Okay, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we're welcoming back to the show Jeremy Aldrich and actor August McAdoo, and we're going to talk about the opening of The Boys Next Door. Stick with us. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. This is Logan Shepard. At first glance, he looks like a typical American teenager. He plays in a band, loves hanging out with his friends, he doesn't like doing homework, and he's not really fond of broccoli. But Logan Shepard is not your typical 14-year-old. Logan was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. He was nonverbal, made no eye contact, and his parents were told to abandon all hope. Instead, His parents began an intensive intervention treatment. At its center was a quality ABA program known as the CARD method. This is Logan Shepard now. All I really want to say is like, I'm kind of copying Martin Luther King. I kind of have a dream like that one day, like I can just like inspire people and never give up. Cause like, that's what I want to do in life. Cause 
If I can succeed, they can succeed, and I will succeed. To follow Logan's musical journey, visit www.facebook.com slash official drummer rock or at drummer rock on Instagram. For more information on the card method, visit www.centerforautism.com or call 800-345-CARD. Rock on, Logan. Zachary back with Talk of Facts. Questions, real life questions and answers for the autism journey. Oh, are you ready for this one? Talk to me about puberty. Ah! So what I would recommend is first and foremost is the kids that have done the therapeutics, the medical and the dietary allergen removal interventions tend to have an easier time at puberty. Seizures are really common uh, for children on the spectrum more than neurotypical populations and they're especially most common right at or about puberty time. So it's extremely important even if you have a 10-year-old that you've already done an EEG that you consider before they go through puberty to get a second EEG done. Just because you have one clean EEG with no abnormal brain activity or seizure activity you need to do another one prior to puberty. That's one of the most common calls we get with teens on the spectrum is they are often experiencing a seizure for what their family thinks is the first time. And the third thing is you're gonna have a teenager, so you're really gonna have to kick it up a notch on those life skills, social skills, and getting your kid ready to be that teenager they need to be. So if you're doing that baby thing, and I know you are, where you're maybe making their lunches or uh, helping them with laundry, we need to start bouncing some chores over to those kids. And we also need to increase social environments where they can be successful. So think about it. We've got three really important things that we need to look at. Puberty is a very serious issue, and we take it very seriously. So make sure you have all of your therapeutics, medical and dietary interventions in place. Uh, consider to do another 24-hour EEG with your physician prior to puberty. And the third most important thing, get ready to raise the bar. Your job is to really get them ready for life. And I know you can do it. Live. Now, two weeks ago, we had these gentlemen in the studio that I'm about to introduce. We had Jeremy Aldrich, who is the director of The Boys Next Door, currently playing at CRE Outreach's Blue Door Theater. Yes. Yeah. Um, and one of the stars of the show, August McAdoo, yeah. uh, who's playing Norman. Uh, they were here two weeks ago to talk before the show opened. The show has opened. I was there on opening night. The show was incredible. I wrote a, a bit about it yesterday on my personal Facebook. We talked about it a little bit earlier. We're going to talk more. Uh, but I just want to congratulate you both. Thank you. Thank you so uh, much. Thanks for coming. Well, And for your feedback, which is amazing. Well, it was a lovely thing to be there for. Um, and, I'm, and then you've had two more performances after I was there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the show will run this weekend, plus two more weeks? Uh, we go all the way until November 
11th, I think. November is our, 11th, so a couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Uh, but it's a small theater, so mm-hmm. if people yes. want to go, they need to get tickets now, because I have no doubt that you're probably going to sell out. You were sold out on the first night. Hopefully. Yes. So um, that's what happens, is that word of mouth gets around and things sell out, and I don't want you crying and saying, well, I can't get in, and <laughs> can you call somebody, Shannon? I could, no, I'm not going to call anybody. <laughs> uh, you need to get off your, you know what, and get your tickets get now. Your tickets now. Uh, okay, so if you haven't watched any of the interviews, just to give you a primer on this, the the show, talk a little bit about what the show is about in okay, general. So the show in general is about um, uh, the, the lead, Jack, um, played by Mason Vokes, by the way, who's mm-hmm. really fantastic in the show, mm-hmm. um, is about a social worker who's working with four men who they're attempting to mainstream into society, and they have uh, various... Um, uh, challenges that they're that they're working with. They have a schizophrenic uh, fellow, two developmentally disabled uh, gentlemen, and um, and then kind of an ang- undefined sort of anxious. Yeah, I don't know what I don't. Know, we we talked about it last time. We can't really yeah, define. You know, it's, it's funny. The Arnold. first time I I saw the show, I think the first two times I saw the show, I felt that. There was an autism spectrum diagnosis there. Yeah, and and you know, the, the seeing it on Friday was the first time I've seen it since having a child on the autism spectrum. And can I tell you, it's a different experience. Yeah. Plus, which it's a different experience because of how you chose to cast the show. Correct. So, yeah. talk a little bit about the casting choice. Okay, so um, we actually cast the show out of CRE's uh, three main uh, art therapy programs. So uh, the. Uh, Veterans Empowerment Theater. We have three uh, actors out of the Veterans Empowerment Theater, which draws from people who, um, you know, have come out of the armed forces uh, and have varying uh, things that they carry with them, such as PTSD or and so on, from from that experience. Um, and then we also have uh, our um, Rex and Friends group, which is for uh, folks with autism and that are on the spectrum. That's the program that uh, August came out of. Yes. And then we also have our Theater by the Blind program. So we have five actors that are, uh, that are blind in the show as well. And so... Which um, is not immediately evident. Which is wild, no. isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's, really, uh, it's really amazing what, what I think we've been able to do together in that respect as well. So... Um, my idea on that, and my pitch to CRE for this show, was that I felt that we could bring a lot more authenticity to the show and to the performances if we had people, actors playing the parts that are themselves, uh, you know, ha- have things that they overcome in their everyday life, just as these characters do, mm-hmm. whether they matched up perfectly or not. That that core experience would be something they can draw upon and. I mean, maybe you can talk to August about that, but um, I think that's happened. And they've really been able to draw upon their, you know, as all actors do, draw upon their own experiences, bring their own experiences and their own um, instrument, really, to the work. And they've done that, and um, I really think it's, it's authentic and beautiful. The show's really turned out nicely. And I actually think you went three steps further than that. Um, but we can talk about that. Okay. <laughs> um, but I do want to talk with August about, so August, you're playing Norman. And yes. Tell us a little bit about Norman and what his difficulties are. Norman is, um, he is on the spectrum because I, I, as I was reading the script, I was, I was getting character breakdown. I noticed that Norman 
has a lot of similarities to myself. Mm. Whereas I get attached to airplanes, I love music, um, I, I'm big on technology. And when I noticed that Norman, his hook, uh, his hook was number one, donuts, number two, his keys, and number three, Sheila. Mm -hmm. Those are the three things he cares about. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, yeah, this is, this is similar to myself. Okay, so you found the ways that you were similar. Uh, now, you had shared with us uh, last time, I don't want to assume that you want to share again, but Absolutely. how do you identify yourself? I identify myself as someone, someone who, uh, who is a protector. Mm -hmm. Someone who will not back down from a challenge. I love a challenge. Okay. And someone who, most importantly, loves to get the job done. Okay. <laughs> and I think that, that we see that about you. But so you uh, have been working with, you were, you were with Rex and Friends yes. uh, as part of CRE Outreach. And um, in this process, what was this like for you, you've been in plays before. You've been in musicals mm -hmm. before. Had you been in just plays that didn't have music before? I was in plays that had music. I was in a musical called The National Cesspool back in 2007. Okay. And that was through Performing Arts Studio West. Okay. And that was my first. That was my first big time. You know. I'm on stage, I got music, I'm taking all sorts of direction, you know, from different directors. So now you're kind of a veteran so now, performer, yes, right? Yes. And this is your first time working with Jeremy? Yes, and, and, and like I said before, and I'll say it again, I'll say it as many times as I can, this guy is a wonderful guy. He's one of the best directors on the face of the planet. You know, if there's, if there's a challenge that he brings to me, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do my best to meet it and exceed it. And, and so let's talk a little bit about this process and what, what was hard for you in this process for this particular show. Um, I would say that the hardest thing for me was matching dialogue with action. Mm. What do you mean by that? I.e., uh, I say I would have a line that says, um, I, got you, I got you this, I got you a present. Here, open it because I have to go to ref the refrigerator. I have to pull out a box, mm -hmm. and I have to give it to Sheila. Mm -hmm. And when I when I was first going over the script, I'm like, okay, line, action, action, line. I'm mm -hmm. trying to combine it, but truth be told, during rehearsals, it was like, okay, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. But once those lights went down on opening night. Mm -hmm. Once, once the announcements were being made that the show was about to commence, I felt all stress just go away. <laughs> it, was, it was the biggest relief off my shoulders. Wonderful. Wonderful. What did you learn through this process? Through the process, I learned that no matter what you're doing, stay in the moment. Stay in the moment because if you take yourself out of the moment, then it won't, the scene co sort of disconnects mm -hmm. in a way. Wonderful. You want to add anything, Jeremy? Well, I just wanted to ask, I'll ask if I can yes, ask August, go for August it. a question. So, so we, had, we had at one point um, 
because we were working through some of the things he mentioned about matching the action to the line and we're having some trouble with line retention, right? Mm -hmm. And so then we actually, for a couple of rehearsals, we gave you your phone. Yeah, that, that was... Now, was that helpful? It the, was very helpful. The amazing thing was mm -hmm. that you almost immediately dropped it. Yeah. Um, now, which, when you say you gave, they gave you your phone, your lines were on your lines, phone? My lines, yes. Were on your phone. I, I, have, um, I have a PDF version of the script on okay. my phone, and it's highlighted. I see. So, you know, I'm fumbling around with it, and I'm just like, okay, this method kind of works, doesn't work. And once the lights went down, I just said, you know what? I got it. I, it was an amazing thing. It, it really was amazing, uh -huh. you know? And I, I just I think it's, it, was, uh, it was interesting just because... We were struggling. We didn't. We didn't know how we were gonna, how everything was gonna come together, like any show, right? <laughs> like production yeah. week, any show I've ever been in. But, <laughs> okay. but, um, but we did. We did. Made, we made an accommodation, mm -hmm. and then the amazing thing was that you, you. It's like you, like you say, like we were doing full dress hex, and the lights went down, and he just kind of went. I don't need this. Like, so it was it was interesting that we made the accommodation and then but then uh, it ended up not being necessary but the making of the accommodation I think you tell me if I'm wrong but it allowed you to relax in a way it did. that you could then have faith in yourself instead of having the experience of you know going up and going up and going up and getting frustrated and upset right? Yes. that he was able to have the experience of going through it and then it turned out he had everything, so it was wow. really, it was really, it was great. I think it was, it was, it was awesome, man. Congratulations! It was. Thank you so much. So, can we talk a little bit about what other accommodations were needed in the show? Because as you see, you have five people that are have at least large sight issues, if not being legally blind. So they're all, they're all are <clears throat> legally blind for sure. Um, and at least, at least one, I think. I, I was only aware of one person having sight issues as I was watching the show. Right. Um, and and honestly, I didn't think of them a, as being legally blind. I just was aware that there were sight issues. Mm -hmm. um, but the other people, I didn't. Um, so did you? What accommodations did you all have to make? And what was it like for you as a performer being on stage with people? who aren't able to see. Did you have to make any accommodations? Yes, I did. And that's a very good and a very poignant question. Um, I I have a scene with um, Stacy. Stacy, she plays Sheila. And throughout the scenes, I would have to, I'd take her hand and I'd guide her. And as a performer, you know, first, when I was first, you know, getting into it, I'm like, okay, how's this gonna work? This is kind of awkward. but. As things progressed and things built, they got easier. Mm -hmm. They got easier with each rehearsal, with each, you know. When you show her, like, you know, the show is so prop heavy. Yes. It really yeah. is. And uh, there's like 68 props. That's if you don't count the donuts individually. So, I mean, we're talking like over 100 <laughs> props. Wow. But, like, but he, you know, some of the things, and they were natural. They were things that he did naturally, which was, you know, with Stacy, like, he has the, the, the timer. timer. And he, he says, here, see it? And, but he takes her hand and he puts, uh -huh. he puts it on the time. So she has yeah. a, a feel for what that is. And I think you know, those things are um, they're beautiful. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And 
I, I just want to mention too, there's something very interesting about working with this group. Um, there's a lot of community there, and I think that's one of the things that CRE is about, mm -hmm. is community. Yeah. Not just the shows, but the community that's generated. Because so many people that are having these different challenges tend to isolate uh, and take yeah. themselves out of community, take themselves yeah. out of social situations. So we have a community. We eat together, which is something interesting about this. We always eat together, right, mm -hmm. for the show. And in yes. doing that, in the living, in the, in the being in the community, we're helping each other with food, we're helping each other with everything. It's actually, it's amazing. It's like a very intimate, mm -hmm. uh, more intimate than usual. Yeah. Because everyone is required by reality to assist one another. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, we all have show, we know in, in theater, like shows, we all become friends, but but the, usually it's very kind of short-lived. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like this has created, this is like a community of people. We've, we've fed each other. I don't right. know, if, you know, that's very kind of profound. Oh, yeah. Um, but it also, I mean, I hear all the time, um, and I'm so, somewhat in the middle, right? Yeah. Um, because there are people who have, or who are differently abled, who talk about people being ableist, yes. right? Um, where we are not able to see when somebody else is struggling, right? Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, I have friends and family who will do or say something, and then I have to say to them, you know, you know, you're not realizing that we can't do this because of X, Y, and Z. So I'm often somewhere in the middle of this. But I, I have said for years that if we could get every politician, and I, of course, autism is my cause that I'm yeah. very central to, if we could get every politician in the world to have to spend two weeks with an autism family, we would not have the problems that we have. There it because is. they would see, oh, when you sit down to dinner, you can't do this, this, and this like I do. You have to do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it would make them more aware. And I do mm -hmm. think that you can work with somebody and not know what their challenges are, but when you sit to break bread with someone, when you, when you have to go through more than just work situations, it really keys you into. So I'm sure that when you guys eat together, yeah. there are some so many things that come up that are everyday things for the people that you're working with that you wouldn't see otherwise. That's yes, true. That's true. And to answer your question about um, accommodations, so some of these actors um, and uh, August would be one of them. They all rely uh, on access mm -hmm. taxis, which I don't oh, know if you're here. familiar with, but it changes a three-hour rehearsal into mostly uh, like a seven-hour experience okay. for them. So uh, there's there's a transportation uh, issues there that right. have to be accommodated. Then we have you know our blind folks. They some there are varying levels, but like Coco has an amazing machine that reads his script in Braille and it um, do you know the name of that August what that name of that machine is but it's no a, but I've seen it it's, it's so it, it actively um, generates uh, Braille type oh. and he he can take it down that way wow. you know then we for Kenny we uh, Kenny Lee who plays Lucian we had to create something that uh, a script for him that has you know uh, type 68 yeah. type print. Like, yeah, like wow. 68 or 70 yeah. font type so that he can get to that. And even that is a challenge for him. Um, e you know, each performer 
throughout, you know, um, we're working, you know, working in a, in, in a uh, individual way with, with each person. So. Yeah, I would imagine that all the accommodations have to be specific and different and that, that you could get bogged down in that really easily. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just to say, like, also the whole cast, just every single person, I think, really, really pushed themselves mm -hmm. in this show. And, and, and when you see the show, I think you maybe the experience you had as well, it's, I mean, um, not to toot our own horn, but it's a, it's a profession, it's, it's really and truly it's a, a, a professional yeah. level show that everyone can sit down and enjoy and really get everything that they're supposed to out of it. Plus, there's that on top. There's, there's the, um, you know, the yeah. thing of the, the, the um, integrity and reality of, of who the participants are. Yeah. So it's like both together. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to know, were you aware, were there any accommodations that your fellow castmates need to, needed to make for you? Hmm. Um, as far as, you know, um, well, for night one, it was, it was having one of my costumes preset okay. because there's a transition that's so quick, you know, I rarely have to, I didn't have time to change, so I'm like, oh my goodness, I gotta go here, gotta go here, get this, get this, get this, right. get a pillow, get, get a flashlight, get my costume, and all of, all the while, I'm, I'm like, how am I gonna get through this? Mm -hmm. So Lee, my castmate who plays Arnold, he suggests to me, he says, August, I'll preset your costume for you. I said, thank you, I really appreciate that, and that helped so much. And from then on, I was able to, you know, do it myself because it gave me a flow, a feel for the flow of how things, you know, went. And I wanted to piggyback on something that you had said mm -hmm. earlier about um, the, about all of us being a, a big community and, and, you know, being a, being sort of a, a very intimate type of, a real close-knit family, if you may. And you may have heard me say it opening night. Um, I recently lost a cousin mm -hmm. who uh, he worked for Toyota for almost 25 years and that experience was it was so sudden for me because you know he, he passed away very suddenly I'm so sorry and um, he he was like he was like this to me you know and when I and opening night the day of opening night, we had his service. Mm. And it was very, very frustrating for me. It was very emotional. And I let, I, you know, I talked to, I talked to everyone. And when they embraced my, when they embraced me and they said, you know what, it's, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we're here for you. When those lights went down and the play got started, it got rolling, we, you know, we got through it and we made it through. And at the end of the night, I thanked I thanked a lot of people because that really helped me in my grief. And Jeremy is a big part of it as well, because I don't know whether you know this or not, but you have made a very long-lasting impact on on me as a person because the things that you have taught me, the things that you have guided me to and through. Not a lot of people would do that, you know, and I, I really, I appreciate you to the most high. I appreciate you.
Very emotional. We're out of time, oh, but wow. uh, you know, this is, uh, last thoughts from you guys and and a, and a pitch and appeal to people to get your tickets. Yes. Um, they want to go to CREoutreach.com. Org. Com? Org. See, I could swear I put org and they told me that it didn't go there. Really? On my, uh, on my the page. Mess? But no, no, no. Uh, but it's, <laughs> oh. So try it, try it both <laughs> and see which one it does. But um, get your tickets. They're not expensive. They're not. The no. tickets, are, tickets are $15 uh, for the, yeah, any show uh, for the whole run. And we run, uh, this week we only have Friday and Saturday night at 8. Okay. Um, so those are gonna sell quick, um, and then but the uh, the other weekends we have Fridays at eight, Saturdays at eight, and Sundays at three. There you go. So come in and see the show. Um, you're gonna love it, I promise. Well, Absolutely. and and I think it's important. Read what I wrote on Facebook, but I think it's important that you support this show because this is the direction in which we need to move. And you just jumped us ahead three spots because I, my thing has always been. We have lots of people who come in on the show, and wherever wherever you are, when we see that there's a person, and we talk about autism, show's called Autism Live, um, when there's a character written for somebody who's on the spectrum, we want to make sure that people who are on the spectrum get a chance to audition for that role, right? Mm, right. I mean, that's a, that's a basic thing we want to make sure. Now, a lot of people say, no, a person on the spectrum should play that role. I have always said, if we say that, then that means that a person who's on the spectrum can't play someone who's not on the spectrum. Uh. Not supporting that. I'm not in favor of that. I'm in favor of people being having acting. access, acting, yeah. and having <laughs> access to audition, and then the person who can fulfill the role in the way that it needs to be fulfilled gets a fair chance to be able to do that. And what you've done, Jeremy, is that you took a bunch of actors mm -hmm. and you gave them the opportunity to act. That's right. And that is what you will see in the show. And it's kind of mind-blowing when you begin to realize afterwards all the pieces that had to be put together to accommodate all the different things and how worthwhile it was. And if, you don't, if you're not willing to support that by having your rear end in a chair to see something really enjoyable and incredible uh, and paying a few dollars, then we need to talk. <laughs> right? right, we need to have a little conversation. Yes. Well, thank so, you so thank much. Thank you guys thank for you being so here. Much for uh, no, I'm sorry we have we don't have enough time. And I and I want to say so that's happening this weekend. And don't forget that tomorrow night at the Fox Theater in Fullerton, I am uh, performing uh, at the Fullerton Cares Comedy Show for Autism with Jay Moore headlining, and I'm one of the many performers. So. Uh, be there in Congrats. Fullerton for yeah. that. That's exciting. Uh, it's very exciting. And I'm going to be doing a little snippet from my one-woman show, The Autism Monologues. So yeah, we'll, we'll try cool. to go a little bit live uh, during the VIP lounge. If I can, watch our Facebook to see if we can get a Facebook live out. we got to get but, you into CRE. Well, okay. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. And uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, I will be back here, though, next Wednesday. We are doing a live show on Wednesday, and Dr. Grand Pichet is here on Wednesday, as is Nancy Oswald Jackson. It's going to be great, so don't miss that. Uh, until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now.